1: Welcome to season five of And the Writer Is with your host, Ross Golan. Before I get my spiel, I want to acknowledge the music army that listens to this podcast every week. Since starting this, the And the Writer Is community has literally changed the history of the music business by helping pass the music modernization act gotten songwriters added to album of the year for the Grammys and still is advocating for positive changes for our industry on a daily basis. So thank you and congrats. Now, as you know, If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special live events, or buy that merch, a.k.a. that hat I always wear, go to our website, www.andtheriteris.com. This week's episode is sponsored by BMI. Full disclosure, Joe and I are both BMI songwriters. So we didn't write this, but we believe it. BMI. We celebrate your talent, value your music, and champion your rights. To all our songwriters and composers, your passion is ours. BMI, music moves our world. This episode is brought to you by ABCO Music, a proud independent music publisher and advocate for the songwriter and artist community over six decades worldwide. ABCO is home to iconic songs and writers of the 20th century, including Sam Cooke, Ray Davies, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, And Bobby Womack, and into the 21st century with chart breaking hits like Mariah Carey's We Belong Together and more. Find out about ABCO by visiting their website at www.abco.com. Songwriters Think about your favorite hit song and what makes it an earworm. You could be the writer behind the next song that goes viral. Enter the 20th annual NSAI Song Contest presented by Martin Guitars and Strings and CMT. You could win several prizes, including the one-on-one mentoring session with El King, myself, and fellow and the writer is producer Joe London. The lyric-only winner will score $2,000 cash and mentoring session with award-winning songwriter Tom Douglas, as well as other coveted prizes send in your best songs now through october 31st at nsai.cmt.com Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's worldwide dominating, multi-platinum, multi-award-winning, multi-genre-bending producer, songwriter, publisher, began a prodigy, and has grown into a guru. He has been making records that you listen to since he was 16 years old. Since then, and millions of records later, he built his company, family affair, alongside his father and brother demonstrating you can build a career not only with your family, but like a family. The artists, writers, and producers with whom he surrounds himself are simply the nicest in the business. Some of the, his closest collaborators, John Ryan, Harry Styles, Now Horn, and Thomas Rhett, are notoriously the nicest. But his <laughs> most impressive attribute is that he brings out the best in these already top-notch writers, and they can and will attest to that. All the way from the middle of nowhere Malibu, this writer is a good husband and good dad. And the writer is the only person I've written a song with at 4 a.m., 7 a.m., on the way back from Vegas, Julian Bonetta. <laughs> uh, that
0: was better than I thought it was going to be. Um,
1: hey, you want an Ivor, Ivor, Ivor Novello? Nivello. Today, yeah, I did like today. Today, literally today.
0: Today,
1: um, I mean, obviously, when people are listening to this and they look, they'll realize that it won't that be wasn't today, today for them, right? But, but it's today for us. It's today for us. For those who are American listeners, explain how
0: prestigious that award is. I don't. I don't know if I could really explain it because I just am finding about how finding out about how prestigious it is. But it, it's really prestigious. It's very. It's. I think it's all the songwriting and. and Publishing and music community—it's like their Grammys, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, we don't have—we, yeah, you know, we have BMI and ASCAP. Yeah, but we don't have Grammys
0: a Grammys. proper Grammys
1: for songwriters. Yeah, and that's the closest thing that yeah. there is on the planet. Yeah. So to win that uh, is an accomplishment and congratulations. Thank you very
0: much. And they also have the awards early, so everybody afterwards has like the whole day to go out and party. Oh,
1: that's cool. Yeah. Um.
0: Why are you not there? Because I'm here. And where is here? We are in Palm Springs right hey. now. At the 6th, yeah, I think this this is the 6th writing camp that we've done, Palm Springs writing camp. Why do you do writing camps? Uh, well, why do we do this one? Or I mean, why do I go to them?
1: I guess either. I mean, I guess part of me is wondering why you would, when you can get in the room with anybody...
0: Well, here's how, here's why. The first time we ever did this, it was actually sort of half a ploy to get just the ultimate Coachella house and have someone else pay for it. Right. <laughs> so we achieved. We'd, yeah, so yeah. it was a one direction one which you came to. That was the first one yeah. I think. Yeah. And yeah, so we'd we'd have it for 2 weeks right and at the end of that it would be the festival, and then all our friends from L.A. would come up and stay in this ridiculous house. But it yielded just more than just songs. It was just so much fun and so much camaraderie and so many intimate relationships, and um, and we got some hits out of it too, so it worked. So we did it again, and it worked again. And and now I use it also to just meet new people because it's the best way of really connecting with people I don't know, and making like lifelong friends potentially, totally. as opposed to just a session one day or two days with somebody. Yeah. Uh, and I get to hit it all at once too. I get to like have meet ten new people, you know.
1: Just when know. I first met you, it was probably ten years ago or something like that. Yeah. You know, I think it was. and going to going to your studio at the time, you know, in your house where you were at. Yeah trying to explain how, when, when I say that you treat your career like a family,
0: yeah.
1: I want you to explain the compound that, you, that I met you on yeah. and what's on that property, okay. and I want you to explain how familial your, your career is. Let's start from even the, the very beginning, who your dad is and how okay. that, that
0: happened. Okay, my dad is Peter Bonetta, and he is a very successful producer and writer and father. And um, I grew up just being interested in music and knowing how to play the drums really early. And he always fostered that and pushed it and helped and supported. And um, even to where, like, when I first was learning how to, you know, use Logic, and he was working on a project, he'd have me make a drum loop for it. And, like, just always kept me involved. I was always around, grew up around the studio, and just loved it, and just always was drawn to it. And um, and then I went to college, got a publishing deal. Like, I'm kind of skipping forward, but then my brother Damon got out of college, and he... Was like, like, you know, hey, should we do this? You want to manage me? He was like, yeah, let's do it. Cool. So from there is sort of where the building of the big family begins. Outside of my relationship with my dad and my brother, which we all happen to not like hate each other and can work together well, and can have found a way to separate our business and our personal, and like is that hard to keep it? We, we we worked through a lot of things, especially it was more my dad and I because we're so similar and we just sometimes with music see the, diff- the different side of the coin from each other and there's no really reconciling that other than one person just doing it their way.
1: You mean uh, musically speaking? Musically
0: speaking. Interesting. Yeah. So it would start like with musically speaking and so we'd say get in a, an argument about like, not an argument, but he would he would walk into my room and and I'd be working on something. He'd be like, wow, that's great. That's awesome. And then he'd be sitting there listening and vibing with me. And then he'd make a comment, some kind of constructive comment, like we all walk into each other's rooms and do something. And when I'm 17 or 19, I'm not really <laughs> asking for it or I don't want to, I don't know. So it would start there and I'd be like, no, I like it this way. And he'd be like, yeah, just try it. And I'd be like, no, <laughs> you know, I don't want to try it. Like. And and we'd start we'd butt ha- we'd get there and then he'd be like whoa why you what's wrong what ha- why are you closed off and then I'd be like well and then it would sort of like start there and then trickle into the normal father son dynamics that everyone might have with them and then it'd be like well you don't no, no, no. so we learned how to communicate better we went to see a family uh, business. Like a family business communication specialist therapist, like how to delineate when somebody just wants to come in and like uh, vent about something, or when they actually want constructive criticism. Is oh, a big difference. If I just want you to listen, if I just need to vent, get something off my chest, I don't need you. To, I just need you to say, "Yeah, man, totally get, totally get it."
1: Do you use that skill set, the way you communicate? I've learned to communicate with your family in a family business have you um is that how you communicate to other writers and artists or not really I don't it's know. specific
0: to- i don't i don't i don't think i'm very trying to be super conscious of it when i'm mm-hmm. like i'm not trying to like be always sort of playing mind games of like okay how do i make this approach this person the right way in a room like that but it definitely helped I don't know. It, it was good for us because just it's tough with working with your family. Some people just can't do it, and there's, I understand why because it's just easy to butt heads. You have to be able to. Everybody has to be a willing party at some point to step up and say, "Hey, I'm sorry," even if they were wrong. You know, everyone has to share their load of that. Everyone has to be willing to hug and make up, and everyone has to. It's just a lot of things that go into play. You know. Well, you guys together.
1: I mean, you started. So- you started so young, yeah.
0: working professionally.
1: What was it like to deal with record labels and stuff like that as a kid, trying to be like, no, no. no. Also, these masters are worthy. I mean, did they right. were they able to hear it and not look at your age, or, well, for or some, did they
0: did they naturally? And what was it like? I guess. Well, my dad managed me at first, and he would be the one that would because I would just want to sit in my room and like work on the computer. So I, didn't, I wasn't, like, calling A&Rs and stuff when I'm 20, really, 19, really. It wasn't, like... Also, I was sort of at the tail end of an older generation. Um, so when I was that age, the the and rs and the people that were still kind of running stuff was from a generation before. They were a lot older. It wasn't like I was running around with other 22-year-old A&Rs and managers. It was just sort of a different thing. Sort of it f- felt like in two thousand two or something, you know.
1: Sure. Um, y- your first, I guess, your first like
0: real platinum record is is the Hillary Duff stuff, wasn't it? I think I think that was my first. I think so. It was either that or it was Little Big Town. Really? You? Had, I didn't. Little Big Town was that early? Yeah. It was. It was at my first riding. Well, at my first riding camp I ever went to. Where was that? <laughs> was in Big Bear. Mm-hmm. and I was signed to Warner Chapel at the time and um, a publisher named Judy Stakey put together this idea of a writing camp and I'm, I don't know if she was the first one ever but I was like, whoa, what's this? This is weird. I get to go to Big Bear for four days and be in a house with a studio? Like, how cool. And I met uh, people there that I'm still friends with today. No, which either. is just off of like three days that you know it's pretty awesome yeah so i met wayne kirkpatrick there and then i went on a nashville writing trip uh like a year later and he was producing this band called little big town shout out little big town because i'm friends with them now and they're the best people ever yeah and uh, so we we just wrote a song one day and then he said hey i'm producing this song little big this album on little big town and we want to cut it I was like, awesome and then it, it was platinum Having having that kind
1: of success at that point, did you feel like it was going to continue to be easy, or did you feel like it was, or were you not even?
0: You didn't. No. Why? What was success? I guess just having my song on the radio and sort of affecting my the lives of my peers and my friends and making one of those songs that all your friends put on when they're dancing and having fun and. And that like, I don't know, I think it was just having song on the radio and hearing your song and knowing that you loved the song as well, probably. What was the first song that you heard on the radio? I did a, I worked with a rapper in LA um, and it was played on Power 106. It was called To The Top. His name was Omar Cruz. Uh. And it had Frankie J on the hook. And it was like, it, I think that was the first time maybe. But that was still just sort of, again, that wasn't success either because it was just sort of a power 106 play. I grew up in the music business, right? My dad's been in it. My, my attention to the details of it have always been on. I've always looked at the credits. I've always been interested to it. I've always I've been a student uh, like trying to be a historian of it, basically. So I that one play on the radio didn't, it, it was like, this isn't success to right. me in, in terms of the people I look up to and what I want to achieve. Did you, it's a step to it, but it's definitely not like, all right, cool, I can relax now, fuck it. You seem to be somebody who is okay
1: not to, you'd you'd be okay producing records you didn't write. You didn't always have to write the records. Totally, you weren't.
0: What? That's well, how I started. Right. Really.
1: Why did that change? Where you started doing more writing versus?
0: Well, the my first gig, my first thing I was ever doing really to be paid in high school was I was doing demos for other writers like Tom Snow and Cynthia Weil and Andy Goldmark. Whoa. Yeah. So <laughs> I'd, I they give me a cassette tape. <laughs> Of them playing the song and scratching out the melody on piano or whatever, and they weren't using Pro Tools because there was that generation gap yeah. and or Logic, and so I'd for you know whatever it was three hundred fifty bucks or five hundred bucks, I'd produce the demo, hire a singer. How
1: did you meet those writers?
0: Well, that was through my dad. He was, yeah. he, Say, was like, tell, he was like he was like hey, give
1: some discography okay.
0: of these people just so that I mean pff, don't- I don't even know. He's Tom Snow wrote. He's so shy amongst 10 other ones. And Cynthia Weil wrote the second most performed yeah, song ever. Right? That's the yeah, second most yeah. now? Yeah. I mean, she they're, they're just like legends. Yeah. But it was my dad. He was friends with Tom and them. And he said, and it probably happened that Tom and my dad were having lunch. And and uh, they were talking about me and kids and life. And Tom was talking about his work. And he was saying that he maybe needs to use Pro Tools. Right? And my dad probably said, hey, you know what? My son does it. Throw him some cash and he'll fucking make you a demo. Yeah. Or something. It, it must have been like in a... Because they're friends, so... But pretty cool to do that in high school. Too. Hell yeah.
1: Um, you do use Logic and you still use Logic. I do. Um, there aren't... You know, our our community tends to be a lot on, on Pro Tools and Ableton. Why have you stayed so true to Logic?
0: Um cuz i guess well i don't know it's either cuz i'm lazy or because i just like the way it looks it just looks better to be honest it's better on the eyes the other ones are ugly as fuck it's really funny <laughs> um the
1: um it's a it's a really funny reason um you know there's obviously a, a switch when things When I first met you, that was right when John Ryan was graduating from Berkeley. Berkeley. And you guys have such an intimate writing relationship, mentor relationship. How did you know, how did you meet John? And how did you know that he was going to be this
0: collaborator being a, a kid from Berkeley? I didn't know. There's no, you know, I just knew at that moment at that time it felt good and it felt fun and it felt right, but like never, never knew or thought that, oh, I know that this guy's going to be the biggest writer in the world. We're going to have so much success. It, It wasn't even, it was sort of just like right here, this feels good this is fun it's fun to have another friend like a, a playmate mm. sort of <laughs> like to so it was just wasn't me by myself in nowhere malibu making music it was like oh cool i got a buddy to like build things with you know
1: you he moved out here in maybe like 2000 and i don't know 12 or something like that 2011 something like that maybe. yeah
0: it, it's been i think it's almost 10 years now maybe so Okay. Our intern was going to Berkeley. My brother's really good friend had a little sister who was dating John as well. And the intern also knew who John was. So the friend's little sister was dating him. Our intern had told us about him, gave us a CD. Hey, my buddy, John Ryan's band's really cool. Listen to it. It It's like, oh, it's cool. This guy's a sick musician. A year later, whatever, six months later, my brother's at a Christmas party. And at the end of the Christmas party, it's just like the last eight people around, obviously, the and they're just hanging. And there's this guy just crushing Beatles songs and Beach Boy songs, going back and forth from guitar to piano, to singing every word, and just calling out requests, basically, of like and and just like my brother was like, "Fuck, who's this guy?" And he was like, "I'm John Ryan. Oh shit, John Ryan. we I actually have your CD. blah, blah, blah. You should come over and meet my brother and my dad." Damon said that. I didn't meet John that time. That was Damon. He came over, met my dad. He went back to school. The next, when he got back for summer, he came again. He and I wrote a song the first day called Pretty Little Girl, and it's still a jam. And then after that, we both, I think we both, I don't know, that might have been one of the first times I just met another person that could go toe to toe with me on everything. Interesting. And it was, and I think he probably felt the same way because he's, you know, and that we both could just keep keep it, there was nothing could ever get stagnant with us because we both could pivot any way we needed to pivot and it felt that way in the room. Just like, oh, did you do that? Oh, yeah. And someone would say something be like, oh, I totally see what you're saying. We both had a lot of reference points of music and things and it was, like, exciting because I was getting challenged and also we were, it was just a good... No, it was just fun. What's the process from you know now then
1: you're you're also a publisher, yeah did that change you know the way you write did it did that affect you in a way that was different than you know the the path you had led up until there was i'm this is my career, my career, my career, right. and the minute you publish it, it's our career and it's right. your career just as much right. um how did how has that changed your writing?
0: It's a good question i I don't know i i mean i I try not to I try to just be present in the moment and be ready for whatever the moment's requiring of me and not sort of take a general approach over how I deal with him or. Whatever, I, Like, I don't want him... I want us to be peers always, and I want him to feel like a peer, because we are. And I don't ever want that... I don't want that relationship, or any of my relationships, to ever not just sort of be eye-to-eye. Right. And I want to respect everybody's space of the way that they want to... Right, and if they need my opinion, or if I'm like fuck you, I'm giving you my opinion. Shit, we can fight it out, but not ever trying to like, you know, like I don't know what the word is, but I don't know. It doesn't affect our writing, I don't think, because I mean, he just he has more hits than me now, so it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't um, say anything
1: when I, I mentioned X Factor, and I don't. Well, I know we've talked about this before, but yeah. the, the X Factor in the UK was the biggest show yeah. in the UK for ten years. Yeah, and you explain what you were doing for it. You know, the idea of having to produce out multiple songs yeah. every week that are master ready. Well, is such a master class in composition and production. Yeah, because you're constantly working with the best songs. Over yeah. and over again. So while you're producing these other things, you know, how did that opportunity come up and explain the the environment? So many big artists
0: came yeah. out of X Factor and yeah. all that. So the first time I had it was uh, I think I was with Savin and we were writing and he was like, I think I'm gonna go do be a vocal coach on X Factor. And he was telling me about how fun it is. And you just are in London. And, you, and he was just like, made it seem like this fun thing to do. And he was like, I'm going to see if I can get them to pay you to be my vocal coach assistant. So you could just be out there with me and we can like write and hang. And they didn't buy it because I obviously had no credentials and whatever. And so uh, he, that was the year that he went and One Direction was on the show. And he worked with them, the rest is history with that. And the next year it came and David Gray, the publisher David Gray was, had just taken a job at Psycho and he and I had known each other for a long time and said, hey, we're bringing this to the US. Do you want to do this? And at the time I had, I was in a weird spot in my career because I had had two artists that were signed to me to major label deals. And I was like riding high, making the records, feeling like so confident working with all like just the coolest of the cool people that's how we met working on on a laza and um and then kind of they both went away, both of those those opportunities that they just why why did fell they apart go away? well. One, I don't know, just just chance and circumstance, let's call it. But nothing ever took off with them, yeah. you know? And uh, so then I was just kind of like, whoa, shit. It was like, fuck, now what? And so David Gray said, hey, do you want to do this? And I just kind of, I guess, wanted to just make some money because I had spent a year or two, maybe three, working on those albums without taking any money. From the record budget, because I wanted to save it for, ink if like a big producer wanted was going to do a song for it that we had fifty grand or seventy five grand to give them, so I just didn't take any money. There was just I just left the whatever four hundred thousand in the record budget, and I just kept working and working and writing songs, and and then they both went away, and I didn't get make no money for two years basically. So I kind of had this fuck it attitude like, fuck, I'm going to just make some money. And David presented the opportunity and I was like, yeah, let's do it. I want to do it. I need something to sort of get me out of whatever rhythm, fu- rhythm I was in, something to focus on. Because that's where I do my best, I think, is when I have a, someone or something to focus on. So X Factor comes along. And it's fucking grueling. It doesn't have to be, but the way we did it was grueling. Basically, the difference between X Factor and The Voice and Idol is that The Voice and Idol have a house band, or they did at least. I think The Voice has a live band, right?
1: Yeah.
0: X Factor doesn't. So X Factor, you're producing tracks for the specific moment that the artist is singing whatever song it is. And Simon's theory behind it really is that you're a and ring them through the whole process. You're creating a sound for them, so by the time the show's done, they have a sound and they have an identity, and you know what kind of artists they are, wow. as opposed to the same live band the, the same live band behind every singer. You're left sort of knowing, okay, what's this person's style? What's this, right? So every week, it would be say it's Motown week or whatever. And I have four artists that I'm doing. I'd have to produce and mix basically, you know, five, sometimes eight songs in three or four days. And they're always like, you know, it's like a, how about a Motown version of a Coldplay song? Or how about a dance version of a Beatles song? Or how about a, you know, Phantom of the Opera... (laughs) <laughs> but rock yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it was just all this really crazy mixing up of things and it and it was just pressure cooker pressure cooker because you go in on a monday you're like okay what are we doing today okay here's all the songs you have tuesday and wednesday to like produce seven things and mix them And then, so for Thursday dress rehearsal, and then in Thursday dress rehearsal, they change like, oh, you know what, this needs to be slower. And then, oh, and Simon goes, you know what, the key's wrong. And also, can we like put more drama here? We slow down the beginning, and you're like, oh fuck, okay. And then Friday is the dress rehearsal, and Saturday's the show. And
1: it makes you realize. I mean, you can't be precious. You
0: have to just like focus and totally. You can't. It taught me a lot in that way too about. So there's radio is a format, right? And TV is also a format. And so our commercials are a format and movies are a format and for the TV format it's a different thing that kind of works than radio. TV you need sort of drama. It's like you start slow, you build to this big thing and boom, you got 2 minutes. You know, it's like a it's a different sort of theory of the way that the the shows work and the singers work so you'd be sitting in there doing a Beatles song let's say and you're working through it and then you're going shit this pre sucks let's cut it out but in terms of like it's not it sucks for this format that we're trying to get we have two minutes to get to To this person and somehow get it back around a couple times and so you'd be doing these things like you know, maybe we should just chop the whole second verse and out and go straight to the bridge on this Elton John song because it just feels better for the TV for this moment. Wow. Yeah, and you get into you the rhythm of that. Did you
1: do this with John or were you, did you do no, some of the, I did the first. alone? You did some of them alone?
0: I did the first two alone and then I pulled yeah. him in. I think maybe I did the first yeah. three.
1: Did you do it in the U.S. also?
0: Yeah, I did it in the U.S. First, first, and then I went to the UK. The US was when uh, I had Fifth Harmony and did Fifth Harmony. Whoa. Yeah. Um, but anyways, it taught me a lot uh, about not being precious of your own things and just being like, oh, let's just get this section out of there for whatever format you're going for. If it's for radio, it's one thing. If it's for, and format meaning whatever the the goal of the song is. If the goal of the song is to make people dance you might want to have the drums come in before like a minute into the song Uh, because you or it better just fucking kill when it comes in and just don't take them out too often sure keep the drums in so people can dance or what so it just taught me a lot about trying to see the big picture of what's the goal what are we aiming for and let's get out of our own way
1: Songwriters, you could be the grand prize winner and score up to $5,000 in cash, one of 12 Martin Guitars, as well as a mentoring session with El King, Joe London, or myself. The Lyric winner will win an opportunity to be mentored by award-winning songwriter Tom Douglas, as well as other coveted prizes. Enter the 20th Annual NSAI Song Contest presented by Martin Guitar Strings and CMT now through October 31st at NSAI.CMT.com. NSAI, the National Songwriters Association, International is one of the biggest supporters of songwriters and played a major role in helping pass the Music Modernization Act, a historical piece of legislation that allows you to have a future as a songwriter. This is your opportunity to experience industry access, one-on-one mentorship with hit songwriters, and fund your creative passions. Song and lyric-only categories are open now for submissions. We can't wait to hear your songs. This week's episode is sponsored by BMI. At BMI, music moves their world just like it moves mine. BMI is my performing rights organization. They're the bridge between people who create music, like me, and the businesses that bring it to the public. They make sure I get paid when my music is streamed on apps or shows, played on radio, at live shows, or in bars, gyms, basically anywhere where music is played. And they do this for over 900,000 songwriters, composers, and music publishers with more than 14 million songs across genres. But it's more than that. They help us navigate the music industry. They create opportunities for aspiring writers and composers through stages at festivals, song camps, and workshops. And they connect us with the right people. They're also on Capitol Hill fighting for copyright protection and fair royalties, and they work hard to ensure the future of music. They have my back, and they'll have yours. Learn more at BMI.com. This episode is brought to you by Abco Music, a proud independent music publisher and advocate for the songwriter and artist community over six decades worldwide. Abco is home to iconic songs and writers of the 20th century, including Sam Cooke, Ray Davies, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, and Bobby Womack and into the 21st century with chart-breaking hits like Mariah Carey's We Belong Together, and more. Find out about Abco by visiting their website at www.abco.com.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot,
1: When you started getting into that, and the show's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, both here and in, in the UK, but specifically in the UK, um, did you were you thinking about producing and writing outside of that? I mean, were, yeah. were you well, able to do anything outside of
0: it? Oh, you mean like in the t- three months that was the show? Sure. No, I didn't. I just dove straight in because it was so much work. Like some people that were doing it, the older guys that had been on the show before and done it, had a musician or two on deck that could, they could make the template here, send it to them. Had a mixer, you know, and they were obviously had to pay them, but they just knew the workflow, probably so that they could do writing sessions. Right. I just at the time just wanted to just do it all by myself and just, yeah, I can be controlling we, like that.
1: The idea of treating songwriting like a masterclass I mean, that's, that's our sort of philosophy with yeah. our publishing company yeah. is to try to make it a given opportunity to learn about yeah. the history of music yeah. and how songs work in a compositional sense and in a historical sense and to have to reproduce these classic songs often and put them in a context of something current. Is, is just in the most amazing, and you're getting paid. And you're getting paid. To get your doctorate in, totally. in songwriting, you know?
0: Totally, and it was so fun. It really was fun going to the show, seeing behind the scenes how it worked, and also affecting these people's lives. Like, I I remember getting up across a table of 20 people and just scolding everybody because these five girls in this group just were so magical and no one saw it. And I was like, you fucking, ah, ah, you know? And it just made like, do they know that? I don't know.
1: How was your relationship with Fifth Harmony through, you know, that process? Cause you, you're the first person to really work with them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, how was it sort of developing that and having seen their arc and where they've gone individually and whatnot, you know, what's it like from your position to see some, it's, something go from
0: uh, a, it's a contest amazing.
1: to, you know, that?
0: It's amazing. And it's, but it's also, you know, there's a part of the, a slice of the pie that's also heartbreaking too. Which part's uh Well, the part for, from selfish reasons that, we all don't have the relationship we used to. But that just happens. People go apart. People go on, do things. And also that they... I mean, I don't know the insides of, of their relationships now, but when, when you were in a room with those girls together, it was, this, it was kind of the same thing I felt when I was with One Direction for the first time. It felt like it was scripted or something. I, was having, I would have like sort of an out-of-body experience for a second because it felt like there was just a moment happening and everybody's timing of like the jokes and the things that were happening. It was almost like having a deja vu without even a deja vu. It. I don't know how to explain it. It was just magical.
1: Yeah.
0: It was just well, totally it's in- magical. It's interesting.
1: Your relationship with One Direction is almost the... Was was sort of the opposite of that. Totally, I was Whereas, on, the yeah, of, on the other end. You're on the other end. You know, the, <laughs> totally. the guys who sort of developed that first sound totally. for them. You know, it's like they end up coming to you, and you totally. go and take
0: it the baton from there. Totally. Um, but the relationship is is um, it's just amazing to see the just it's 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 wonderful to see your feelings and your instincts being validated, even if it's not on my, even if I didn't write the songs but knowing that yes i believed in these girls i was right other people around the world believed in these girls and still do and that feeling is a whatever that feeling is that i felt i can trust that feeling in me again if i ever feel it and i don't have to talk myself out of it i don't have to rationalize why i should just follow it and believe it because it's 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 valid It's valid. it's just as valid as anything I remember in my my you know,
1: ten, twelve years ago, and the Jonas Brothers were huge, and I had a song that was um, with the band that was opening for them, and we would go and we tour, and you realize, man, that the the kid and the, the youngest of the brothers is the one that's writing all these songs, like he's gonna he's gonna be huge. Yeah. You know, and I just remember having this argument with my bandmate. I was like, "No, that kid's 16, and he's like, yeah he's gonna be. He's gonna he's gonna figure it out. If not right now, he's gonna be totally. huge.' And then you, and what's similar in in those scenarios is that it's not like Fifth Harmony had hits in the beginning. Like hmm. they they it took a while. It took a while, and and it would have been easy actually... to give up on. on totally. It. Like I'm so you know, and then so then it's almost more valid. That, that it was well, I remember album number three or something like that totally. and song number 16 that went. Well, that's that why things can break. last
0: because they have real foundations to be built on. Like when they first got off the show, Simon said, I'm so, I was so moved by how much you fought for these girls. I want you to, to executive produce whatever they do and told LA Reed that. And they were like, great. And we were like, cool. And the first order of business for me was we went to, we all stayed at my studio or they came over for like two weeks. And every day we, we put out cover songs. Like we, I'd play guitar, or piano, and they'd all sing together all at the same time in one take and capture it to show that these girls can wail. Like, yeah. They're the real deal. This is not a joke to start there, the foundation of the beginnings of their career there and put, there's some amazing arrangements that we'd all work through together. And if at any point, like, you know, if Normani started giggling or something and then someone else started cracking up, we'd have to just start again. And we'd have like, nope, we gotta do it again. We'd have to just go, come on, let's do this. And then someone would forget a thing or I'd flub on the guitar and be like, shit. And sometimes it would take hours, but we would just get it right, get a good take put those out into the world, boom. So now the first paper trail of them after that is this. And it's something that's organic and real and fun. And then it was, I think that, I, I don't know if any of the girls talk about this and I'm sure they do, but, you know, being 16 in the industry and being on that cusp of adulthood, I'm, sh- I'm sure that people can feel forced into feeling sexualized too soon by press by whoever by anything by labels by whatever and i wanted to tr- i want i did ever come to you looking for songs when i was first making doing the rounds looking for songs for them maybe
1: i, d- I don't really but remember but in any but case i, I
0: wanted know. to really make like the songs i wrote for them were very just disney teen innocence just really and not trying to be like you know you can touch me anywhere you can like none of that shit and there was forces that were trying to put some of those songs in the atmosphere and it just didn't feel right for me and i'm really proud of the first little nucleus of songs that were put out to the world cuz it felt very authentic to them yeah cuz they were still innocent and young and and not you know they weren't anyways So that was the foundation of the way that that built and then from there they got older and it worked and then like you said, the third album in, the rocket song, just the rocket ship takes them to space but they have this huge foundation and groundswell under them to support now all their solo careers. Those are the pillars that they're all standing on.
1: Who introduced you to, I assume it's the same family that introduced you to One Direction? Right, it's like psych, psycho and X Factor and stuff. So. Or did well, you know well, the, what
0: happened that? with One Direction was, when it came to the U.S., it came to the U.S. the year after One Direction won in the U.K. That was the first year I was on it, and Tyler Brown, at the time, was not the head of the label, but he was there working on the show as one of the A and R's, and he he was paired as whatever his group was was my group, so we started hanging out every day just becoming friends. And at the end of the show, he said, hey, I got to make this second One Direction album. Do you want to write for it? And again, I was on my, fuck everything. I want to make some money. So I was like, yeah. What? So it's six million albums? Five million? Yep. I I would definitely like to get a song on that. Yeah. (laughs) I would love it. Totally. So he said, okay, I got this guy that I know that I think you would really like writing with. His name's Jamie Scott. Oh. I was like, cool, man, let's do it. Set it up. Let's do it. He was like, he had one on the other album. I think he had one on the first album. And I said, cool. So he set us up a session, two days. And I said, I'm gonna bring John into it. And he was like, okay, whatever. And so Jamie rocks up to the house. John was a little late. He walks and he's like, I had this melody in the car on the way back from lunch. He goes, yeah, I've been to do all night, in your eyes. and everything. And no, no, And he's like, "I don't know what to do after that, the end or whatever." And I was like, "Ah, oh, I know what to do. Go, come on, come on, and to me, baby." And we're like, "Cool, this is easy." And then Jamie was like, "Oh," and then it just like was like, "Yeah." We were all just in in it together. Yeah, and it was so fun. And so we wrote that song, Come On, Come On, was like the first one we attempted to write for them, which was a fun thing. And then the second day we wrote, here's a nice little story. <laughs> oh, we might have to edit this. I don't to tell it. Um, so, well, fuck it. My neighbors, some of my, my family's very close friends, her name's Suze Randall and, and her daughter, Holly Randall, and they're the top of the porn industry. There, Suze Randall is a legend in pornography. Anybody who likes porn, look her up. She is I'm incredible. And there are neighbors, and it just so happened that the second day Jamie was there, my parents were out of town, they were in Santa Barbara or something, and Suze asked, or Holly asked, if they could shoot at my parents' house. So my parents were like, yeah, go ahead. Use the house. And so the way the layout is, is you've been there. The house is on one side of the driveway and the studio is on the other side of the driveway. So we're all in there. And I tell Jamie that, hey, guess what? You're not going to believe this, but there's a porn being shot right over there at the house. And he was like, no fucking way, whatever. So <laughs> we, we it's kind of too far to see detail, but it's still close enough to see shapes, right? And so we're sort of out there, Trying to get a peek through bushes, but in your own house. Well, no, we were at the studio. Sure,
1: but I mean, it's like totally because well, you your own property. So. Totally, but you didn't want to walk
0: up there yeah. and just be like, "What's up?" You know, like, like it's need an extra or whatever. Yeah, right, right. So we're just kind of trying to be respectful of, of the girls. The girl was doing a solo scene, I think, near the piano, if I remember correctly, and we didn't want to just we want to give her a space. So we were like peeking through bushes and like standing on the stairs in the studio trying to like catch an angle and like see what the hell was going on like little kids. And after that, we wrote a song about it called She's Not Afraid. And that's where the song She's Not Afraid comes from was about this girl. She's not afraid of all the attention. She's not afraid of running wild. And then was why she's so afraid of falling in love, whatever. That didn't apply to her, but... That's that was the Maybe that dead. was that was the <laughs> that was the dirty secret behind the the, the writing of that song. Crazy. Yeah. Um,
1: did you play them for the boys, or you played them for Tyler? How
0: did they first played them for Tyler? Tyler played them for the A and R or Sonny and for Simon. They really liked them. Those two songs, and so we flew to London to cut those two songs at the Wendy House in London, and it just was kind of a love affair, I think. At least that's what I felt. John and I are pretty fun young guys. And so we all sort of were peers and friends and just dicking around like we were 18 years old and just hanging out and, like, and then and we just... I don't know. I, th- I think we all felt a really fun connection. You know? the,
1: the pressure they had to have a follow up hit I imagine was really palpable I would assume yeah. you know cuz yeah. their first hit was so big Yeah um did you know that I, I guess story of my life
0: was second right best third, song third ever. album was it was on the second it was on the third album but the first one's best song ever off of that
1: Best song ever
0: for the movie yeah and
1: those things start to react and there had to be like some relief
0: Well, you want to hear another crazy story? Yeah, of course. Okay. So after those first songs that we wrote for the uh, Take Me Home album, it was great. And then the boys, I guess, wanted to start writing more and they enjoyed us. Did they have a
1: hit off of the Take Me Home
0: album? Um, Little Things was Uh off of there. I mean, I, I think, you know, what's a hit? Right. But as far as like a top five radio hit. No. Right. Not off that album. I don't think. Or maybe actually, I think I'd take that back. I think the first single went to like, debut, was like number two yeah. on Billboard the first week. Right. But I, I don't think it was like a... But you actually, start... Then actually, Savin said that it gets synced a whole load. Yeah. Whatever. It's, it was a big song, but not yeah. on the level of did you what write makes with you Savin beautiful? Them,
1: or did you guys like there was no. sort of Sa- Sav and Rami and Carl doing their music, yeah. and then you and John and and Jamie doing your music with the same band, right? That's sort of
0: um, yeah. But on of the second those, album, Savin. like Savin heard the songs we did, and and also signed off on of them and suggested little tweaks and stuff like that. Sure. The third album, I think, is when Savin had his first child, and I think, I mean, I can't speak for him, but I think he. I don't know. He just—I don't know why they all didn't go back in and write on the third album. But for whatever reason, um, when we got the call to do it, I was like, "Yeah, I'll come. I'll come to London. Let's do it." I want to have John come out too. And and not to put anything on blast, but they're like, eh, "Well, I don't know if we're gonna buy his plane ticket." <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, "All right, fuck it. I'll buy his plane ticket and we'll share a room." And so. We shared a room. We went to Jamie's studio. And in the first five days, we were there for a week. We were there for six days. And the first song we wrote was a song that was a bonus cut called, maybe I should pull up my references. But the second song we wrote was Story of My Life. The third song we wrote was Midnight Memories. Which was yeah. the title of the album. The fourth yeah. song we wrote was "You and I," which was the third single. The fifth song we wrote was <sighs> "Best Song Ever," and a missing one. We wrote all in that first four five days. We wrote Half all the, the singles. We wrote all the singles off the first four, just one after another. <laughs>
1: Did they reimburse the plane ticket? <laughs> 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 um, when you guys that
0: that. That was magic. That was wild. They were touring
1: around the UK and and a lot of... right. I I flew out and toured with them for like 10 days. I think I was in the room with them once out of the 10 days. Yeah. Like, I didn't understand what was happening. I just remember being in these these hotel rooms that... We go to these hotels that are an hour away from whatever town or city. Yeah. Because... They're trying to hide totally, and these you—they wouldn't tell anyone, and you can't. And there's <laughs> can't. somehow my, some the there'd be fan, fans would figure it out, and it'd be how do you know we are not even near the venue? Just such a crazy experience. But what makes me at that era, all I think about is how you guys would be tra- traveling around the world with them. Yeah. That must have happened kind of after the this album, working on the next album,
0: right? It was it was, it was working on this. Midnight Memories is when we started. You guys were in it touring on the road with them and finishing stuff.
1: Yeah, and you got, I mean all over the world.
0: Yeah, that was the rhythm. It was we'd February we'd write in the UK for a bunch of weeks, 3 weeks. Then we'd go back home and produce stuff, then we'd fly out on the road, cut vocals, then we'd go back to London do another round of writing, producing. Cutting Vocals on the Road, and then September hits We're in Mix. October hits were in X Factor. January hits, take a month off. February hits again. Go to London for a month, start the next album. It was like this three-year cycle of that. Did you have any personal life? No, right? During that? Could you? Fuck a personal life. We're traveling around the world with the biggest band <laughs> there is. With like, your, with in, your in exotic friends. cities with your best friends. My brother <laughs> would be out there like it that then, that is the was the most fun you could ever have. I remember you guys were like playing with I think
1: it, you guys were in Brazil and and One Direction's opening for Eddie Vetter. Eddie Vetter's opening for Oh, that. I got a
0: story for you. And I
1: just remember hearing that and you know want
0: Can I tell you the story about how yeah. my career almost was just over forever, I yeah, think. Yeah, please. <laughs> so we're in Brazil at the top of the Fasano Hotel. And we're throwing, there's a party that everybody's throwing for the band, for crew, for everyone. There's a lot of crew on the road with them, you know, that are behind the scenes. So it's a bunch of people up at the rooftop. It just so happens that, like, surfer Kelly Slater is doing a surf tournament there. And so is um, Eddie Vedder, just happened to be there. So they're there randomly. And Niall came up to me and he said, hey, I want to play Eddie some of the tunes from the new record. It's like, cool, I'll go get my iPod. Got my headphones. And this is in April, I believe. And um, so a lot of the songs didn't, like had some of the boys' vocals on it. A lot of John was still on there. Some verses weren't right. Some choruses were still being worked on. But we had kind of the 10 songs for the album. We had like, here's the album. And they don't release the album until November. So I go get my headphones. I give them to Nile, And the party's happening. And I'm taking shots of tequila and probably everything else and having a really fun night. And go to bed. And we wake up in the morning and we leave Brazil. I mean, we leave uh, what city? Rio. And we go to Sao Paulo. And... I'm looking for my iPod because I want to listen to it on the plane and I can't find my iPod. And there were also a lot of other people up at the rooftop. It wasn't just crew. There were women there as well, you know, because the boys always want to have some beautiful women around. So there were Brazilian, you know, beautiful women around. And Brazil is notoriously what where things get leaked out of like the most, like it seems musically? like musically, really, like Brazil somehow has found a way to always get their hands on a copy of their records first and leak them. So, I'm freaking out. I'm like, okay, it was sitting on a couch. Somebody picked it up, saw the first playlist says one new One D album 2014, <laughs> and goes, holy shit, let's I'm gonna <laughs> just put this online, and. I'm freaked out because I'm like, okay. So I like email everybody at Psycho and say, please, attention digital team. If any of these titles pop up online, please shut them down. And we leave Sao Paulo, or we leave Rio. I can't find my iPod still. I ask Niall's Security. He said, Yeah, mate, I gave it to you last night. I'm like, what? what? I really I must have been drunk. I don't remember. Uh-oh. And I remember, okay, I'm going through them. I'm like, what did we do last night? And I'm like, oh, yeah, we went to Eddie Vedder's room. We were, like, playing songs, hanging out. Uh, The security team calls. His security team can't find it. We we turn the hotel upside down. No one can find this iPod. And I'm just, four days go by, and I'm just, like... Devastated. (laughs) I just really thought that these all ten... This whole album is going to leak with half of John's vocals on it, like, you know, and parts of the songs that aren't even great yet, and bad productions, just rough productions, and it's going to ruin my career. Like, Psycho will never hire me again. All my peers are going to fucking laugh and be like, you fucking idiot. Like, you had the world in your hands, and you blew it, you know? And just I'm just so not in my stomach. And... We get home, seven days later, we get home to LA and we get a package uh, from Eddie Vedder and <laughs> we open it up and it's his ukulele book in the iPod and it says, I hope the music sounds a little bit sweeter now. Amazing. <laughs> Eddie Vedder saved my career. Thank you, Eddie Vedder.
1: <laughs> that is the greatest Eddie Vedder shout out in ever. I mean, it's incredible.
0: Yeah. Well, John was John had been texting with him, so they were just sort of talking about stuff, and he what happened to find it in under the bed at his room somewhere, and asked for John's address, and then sent the book with the iPod. Amazing. <laughs> I mean,
1: <laughs> Eddie Vedder saves your career. Oh. That should be that should be the name Eddie the of your biography. Eddie Vedder saves my career. The story of Julian Bonetta. <laughs> um, okay, so. Uh-huh. You know, the next album comes out, massive sales. The four album? Yeah, just yeah. crazy sales. Um, and then Perfect comes out, which.
0: That was written that at Palm the... Springs Writing Camp. Oh, it was. The nucleus of it started How about at that? the first one, yeah. Yeah.
1: I guess I came the wrong day. <laughs> <laughs> um, Made in the Am is, you know, the first one with the band without Zane. Yep. Um, that's my only one D cut was on that album. Which one was it? If I Could Fly. Nice. It's pretty excited about that. But it's weird, you know, it's when you're writing songs, I'm I'm the guy who gets one song, maybe two songs on the albums I work on. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's just sort of random one offs. And here you are with nine of ten songs. Twelve of fourteen songs, yeah. like you hone in on the artist's sound and you really become so such an integral part of their career, yeah um even when they split up,
0: yeah
1: you start working with Nile, and slow hands becomes just massive and but it's a song that's not like every other song on the radio yeah. How do you have confidence releasing songs and working on songs and staying in your own lane, in a way, without having to appropriate what everyone else is doing?
0: I think just experience. At this point, at that point, whatever, that was last year, whatever, I got my first publishing deal when I was 18, and then I'm I'm 16 years in to doing this every day. Pick up a few, like tricks from other people and the way other people's paths and watching how other people's careers have worked and being a historian of the music biz or of my music in my lifetime, you you just sort of historically look at things that, I don't know, it, it just, I don't know, who knows, you just you, fucking, you, you, you take a swing and you try okay. something and but i do feel like i do have a lot of knowledge and history to back up the the reasons i made some of those decisions and we made some of those decisions in that song were for were for the reason of that i'm just was ex- more experienced, more confident, trusted myself more you um, know
1: yeah, i mean i'm, I'm my perception c- of you is that you have no fomo, but i guess that's
0: probably not correct, right? It's definitely not correct, but it's i can manage it really well and yeah. and I try to, and I can get lost in whatever moment I'm in, and not be thinking about other people's moments. I can definitely, whatever moment I'm in, just be there and be present in it, and make it a moment that I want to yeah. be a part of. I, you don't know this
1: because you're facing me, yeah. but behind you, there, your co-writer just showed up, and then up for that song, <laughs> Ruth, and um, you know you have. Uh, explicit, who's putting his face in the window. You've had Teddy Geiger put her face in the window. You've had like throughout this interview, I'm like trying to like focus, but there's like a, a list, monsters and strangers, like li- literally just the people who've, who've since we've been doing this have put their face and Sick. are trying to make me laugh and I'm just like, okay, no. Stay focused, bro. Okay. I got you.
0: So yeah, I've been thinking about sort of my style of production because when I always producers that I've followed and admired had styles and then some almost didn't and like the Neptunes it was a style Timbaland had a style then they could switch up their style but for a time they had a it was a style and a. St- they were they were the artist in yeah, a way as absolutely. much you know as, totally. as much
1: as the artist was they were at least as much
0: absolutely and then if you go back sort of f- further there was a lot of producers that because they were using different musicians and different textures and sounds sort of you couldn't you wouldn't know that oh yeah that definitely sounds like a so and so production because it was just like th- their their fingers weren't on the drum pads and yeah, they, they were they were using musicians planters, right. and different mixers and different things and I don't I mean you would know better. I I've always wondered if I have a sound. And well,
1: I mean that's what I'm saying in the slow hands thing and there's I tr- there's there's the there's more of a sound in your songwriting whereas like one of your best traits as a producer is that you don't step on the toes of the song. Right. Which is That's what I try not so- to do. which is a really good songwriter. And also, like vocals are super present in the songs that you do, where it's like it's right. it, you you never step on the vocals, and um, and I so I think I might know.
0: Well, yeah, you, I, it's hard
1: to tell when I know it's someone versus not. But totally. looking at it, trying to look at it objectively, I think that there's there's something with those songs that, you, that we've named so far that. Sound like those artists, which well, that, which totally. is which is such a compliment. But Thank that's you. your style. Absolutely, is to not be, is to not step on their toes and also and to write them. Cla- you know, somehow. and I'm not sure that you guys, as a writing team of sorts, have such a style. Yeah. to me, nice. I think as a as a, I think more as writers in a way than a producer. They're, I can producers. see the, you know. Yeah. I can I can see the through line. Cause there's you're writing songs that are actual you know, in a way more classic in, in their structure. There's like yeah. a, a real homage to yeah. to different eras yeah. in, in the writing. So it doesn't feel like it's yeah. there's there was something I think we've talked about it in, in another episode, but you know, the idea that if you take an account, this is an Atlantic Writing Camp, so we can take the time. But Pete sent me this form, this this article. Pete Gambarg sent me this article where it was showing the variety of music that's successful right now, and that literally because people fly session drums that they have in in a pro tool session to the next session, they move things around. But we're all using the same sample packs on the same site, yeah. and we're all you know. The template is literally what you start from. Often, so songs yeah. right now are just not varied, totally. And so, but yet you you struggle writing the same song yeah. over and over again. Totally, that is not your forte. Like your songs all sound different from each other. Tight. You know, so you're you're you know you're leading the way with that. Um, let's go with Thomas Rhett, who's now become a big yeah you know, collaborator of yours. How did you meet him? And explain how close the Thomas Rep family
0: is (laughs) to yours. Well, my beautiful, stunning, smart, compassionate, lovely wife and mother of my child is his manager and has been his manager for, I think they're maybe going on 10 years now. Cool. And I actually met her before that. In Nashville, when I was doing a lot of Nashville stuff a bunch of years ago, we met just randomly. She was working with someone I was working with, and we happened to go get a dog collar at Walmart together for John Rich, who his dog got out of his house. So she was like, I'll get your a dog collar. I was like, I'll go with you. And that was it. Yeah. We went and got a dog collar, and then... Here we are married with a kid later. She was married at the time, and we didn't talk. We didn't see each other for 10 more years, and we were reconnected. But anyways, she manages him, and so that's how I get my cuts. I just sleep with the (laughs) (laughs) artist's manager.
1: Um, You guys have had, you know, obviously a a lot of success in the last couple of years together. Um, You guys being the the whole team... uh, Are you feeling pressured to write primarily in country when you start having that kind of success in country? I mean, obviously, you've worked with a lot of country artists. Yeah. But considering that your first song is, you know, that we're talking about is Little Big Town, and then fast forward 10, 15 years, and you have all these number one songs now at country, and you're working with Marin, and you're working with, you know, all these
0: country people. I don't know. um, Maybe it's just a balance. Yeah. You know, because just like anything, no matter what you do, there's always gonna be something else that's appealing. So if if I can find the right balance of if I get burnt out here, I can go hang with the best writers over there and get re inspired and taught a few new lessons and be like, Oh yeah, okay, cool, and then bring those tricks over here and just kind of cross pollinate and I don't know.
1: Your greatest song that you've ever worked on is Hoodie. Because
0: I work on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Is that our you, only song we've had that's been released, that at least both of our names are on? I didn't really write that. I wrote, like, a line.
1: Um, maybe. I, I mean, we have that, and then I, I guess Blueberry
0: Pies didn't really didn't come out. Um, nice. Yes, Hoodie.
1: But that might be, yeah. I mean, we. I don't think we've done that many sessions.
0: You're right. The sessions we have done have been, like you said in the intro... <laughs>
1: Yeah. And they're also like Can we
0: talk about our first session together?
1: Yeah, you should tell it from your perspective. I feel like I, I don't think I've told it, but it's it's I'll,
0: t- I'll tell, yeah, it. tell I'll tell. Yeah, tell the story. So so Mike Karen, shout out to Mike Karen for putting me and Ross in touch. And uh he said, I think you should write with this guy, Ross. He's got the song called Blueberry Pies, and I think it'd be perfect for your artist. I said, Cool. So let's have a session. And the day before the session, I think I called you. I was pacing around outside. And I called you and I said, hey, dude, how you doing? Excited to work with you. Are you down to come over tomorrow and then let's just go to Vegas? And then we'll come back and then we'll write the next day? And you were kind of like, yeah, man, sure. <laughs> <Is> it- <laughs> You're like, yeah. I think I called you the day before. I'm not sure because when you tell, you think it, you showed up at the studio. I don't remember. And I you said, doing hey. that, But
1: when you say that, that sounds familiar-ish. I mean, so let's maybe, pretend I
0: didn't do that for story's maybe sake. Maybe it
1: was like, maybe it was even um, you, just in case we go to Vegas, right. bring something. And right. I was like, not sure if right. like I don't think we had established if that was going to happen.
0: Right. So or how it Ross was gets happen. gets to the studio. We say our hellos for five minutes, and then we're like, all right, cool, let's go. The car's in the driveway waiting. So we eight of us pile in to the suburban or whatever. And the, our driver takes us to Vegas and we're just hanging out, having fun. We go, I don't know if you remember this, two, but we met artists. the fat Jew that night. We did. I do remember that. <laughs> yes. Because this was probably and, five in the morning. And he took something. his pants off and stood <laughs> on, on the top of the the bar seating area and we got we got kicked out. All of us, I think. Uh, or He got oh, kicked out.
1: That I don't remember.
0: I, that think, I think that's what happened.
1: That sounds right, though. I do remember meeting him. I also, I mean, I think I was, I think I was pretty intoxicated.
0: So, yeah. and then yeah. we, at seven a.m., got driven home, and then you started to write "Sunrise," yeah, about our experience in Vegas, real time, uh, art, you know, and then we finished it there. We ordered some pizza, and then I just remember I was taking a nap when we got back. Because we
1: didn't go to sleep that night. Uh-uh. We went back, woke up from a nap, and then we recorded the song yeah. that we wrote in the van. In the van the, on the way know, home. On the way home. It's still a really good song. But it is. it's it's really that that was the an experience where I learned that you have to you have to live to to write about something authentic. Yeah. And totally. I was so impressed with the fact that you were like, no, let's all go. Let's do this. This is going to be a fun night, and it's just okay. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Walk through doors, is, you know, I like just that. see, see you totally. Just see what's on the other side of this, and and just say totally. yes, and and let it go, and it, you know, and then once you do that kind of experience, now we're good for life. Totally, because we've done that. We we've and gone to totally. We, we've gone to like this weird, the most incredible like session battle together. Totally, you know,
0: and those are the most important. In interesting things for me when when I was first writing, when I first got my publishing deal, there wasn't anyone my age that I was working with. I was writing with incredible, huge writers, but they were forty, and had kids, and and I didn't. And then all of a sudden, this right now there's such a thick, palpable friendship and unity between the songwriter, in the songwriting community. And it's so amazing to have and to see. And I think that slowly all writing camps maybe were a big part of it. Not mine, but everybody's that have ever been in this time to bring us all really to a a real intimate friendship basis for that. And it's so incredible to have watched it sort of all come together and managers be like, Hanging with each other and doing business together, and also vacationing together, and songwriters just having just—I don't know—it's it's it's just bigger than a job, really. It feels. I think
1: some of that's probably a response to our business being so digital. Yeah, you know that because there was a world where. Producers would have session players, and those session players were part of the conversation. Yeah, you know, there was a world where writers would all write in the same building because yeah. that's where the the that's where the set the studio was, or that's where the pianos yeah. were, and you know, people shared some location. And I think we all naturally crave that.
0: Yeah, And
1: definitely. but it takes people to lead in that for you know to keep that conversation going. Yeah. All right, next segment.
0: Next segment. Five
1: for five. I'm going to list five things, and you tell me the first thing that comes off the top of your head. Let's start with John Ryan. Smiles. Uh, this will count as one, but <laughs> go through the the five one-direction guys. You spent so much time with them. One. Okay.
0: Um, you call out a name. And I'll just... Harry. Harry... Laughter and just skrell. It's a word we created called skrell. I like Definitely that. Definitely goes through my head.
1: Harry's so nice. Do you know what skrell is? No, what is that? I'll
0: tell you after the okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Nile. Nile. Um, grounded, pure, honest. Zane. Zane. Mysterious. Just. So talented, deep. He's a deep. There's he's a deep guy. Louis. Louis, funny. Louis, Louis, and and just and and I don't know I got so much love for these guys, like like brothers. So sure. Everything you're gonna say about them, I'm just gonna say something that just is so nice. But I think that's the,
1: uh, you know,
0: that's. Yeah. That's the, that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, totally. Louie's just, I mean, and, and, yeah. I mean, Liam. Liam. I think of, what do I think of? I think of just him, the, he, the fact that, just, again, a lot of love. He, he bought a house right next to our house. was so good. Which was so awesome. And it was, he would just, I'd be working and just see him walk by the door and be like, Yo, What are you doing? And crash my sessions. It's awesome. <laughs> so weird. Um, <laughs> uh, just uh, family for I all always, of them. The definitely the word I, I would want to throw out there to all of them if they listened is family. Yeah. Um, Casey Robinson speaking of family. Casey Robinson. Um, what's the word when someone's very specific, thoughtful? Thoughtful. Thoughtful and, and calculating, but in a thoughtful, thoughtful calculations, like great understanding the roots of who someone is and who someone else is and why they'd be a good pairing and why their styles might work together. I think. Peter Bonetta. Peter Bonetta is Everything. Everything. Damon Benetta. Damon Benetta is even more of everything. Best friend. Damon yeah. Benetta is my 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 best friend and yeah, everything.
1: Well, thank you for doing
0: this podcast. Thank you for having me. I was uh, always wondering when I was going to get the call. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I should have been first, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, what's advice you'd give to a, a, someone, you know, a new writer? New writer, I would say
0: y- you don't give up and if you're gonna you know, if, if if you're really a writer you're gonna write Yeah. so you're gonna do, you're not gonna have to say oh, I should write more if you're really a guitar player every day you're picking up the guitar if you're really a basketball player every day you're playing basketball there's nothing that's gonna stop you doesn't mean you have to make money from it, you do it whether you made money or you didn't. And you have to be diligent, you have to be smart, you always have to learn and try to be better and just don't be too down on yourself, but also don't gas yourself up too much and try to stay even and try to just work hard and learn. Learn. I always think that when
1: someone is, you know, there's, there's this idea that people are only as successful as the day you meet them. You know it's like when I met you, you had um, you seemed to have everything figured out to me like I hadn't I, I was just getting into the the writing for other people right. and even though you're Didn't have any younger than I, I I am, I think of you as being like this this that you're older in spirit and yes. in the way that you treat the community around you is you know th- this writing camp is multi weeks with a lot of a lot of personalities, a lot of personalities and yeah. everyone's looking up to you
0: and I mean, and that's
1: you know and and that's not a that's not a, no, a totally. some weird quali- like I'm not qualifying it I'm just right. telling you how it is that everyone looks to you even Dan Wilson and I were talking this morning at breakfast that you came in yesterday and you had a note on the song and the whole room shifted to having a new energy and objective to finish the song. And people look up to you because your experience is so vast and your, you. your knowledge of music is so vast, but the way you treat fellow musicians and writers is is a way that all of us should run our businesses we all want it. when i said i wasn't you know i said it in the intro but yeah it's not um it's not just that you work with family but you this this business that you have this yeah. career that you have is is so genuine family from the people around you. Yeah. So I, I don't know how to compliment that more thank when you. that's the kind of, I, that's my that's, goal that's, is to run my life the way old, you old. run yours. So I, you know, thank you. I'll tell you. you what,
0: That thank my dad, because my dad, I basically learned how to mentor from my dad, because my dad mentored me as a as a producer, as a man, as a, as everything. And he just was the best dad you could ever ask for, ever. And like people are like, dude, your dad's so awesome. And I hear that all the time. And, but it's, it's just like, fuck. <laughs> I'm going to cry. <laughs> yes, you did it. He's just so, uh, he's, he just gives so much. So, <laughs> so. So that's how I learned from him, to how to just love people and like give your energy and just you know you we all need mentors. God, I had so many great mentors from from Savin to Steve Kipner to just people that that just along the way, just you get to ride in the car with for a little while, and like when you get out just are a little smarter, a little wiser, have a bit more perspective on your own life, treat people differently. Just a lot of, you know, I mean, we're all mentors. You're, dude, you're everywhere, I mean, you know. But I think that having, for young writers as well, have mentors, find good mentors, it's tough. And there's gonna be a lot of people that think they're your mentor and then might try to take from you. Well, my dad always says, it's not who you know, it's who you avoid. <laughs> because you can know everyone but if you know the wrong person they might waste three years of your life and get into something but yeah mentors I don't know that's how I that that thing you said to me is like the best compliment you could ever give to me like beyond any like song or whatever that's like that's the goal for me for sure.
1: Well, now we have a new concept for our song today. <laughs> Actually, what was it that you were saying right before? I mean, you oh, know, we I could hate, say, well, you hate concept. I hate when people oh, use the it?
0: word concept out of context. i oh, saying, right. I got this idea. Instead of saying, I got this idea, they go. So, okay, so the hook is going to be like, I love you. But you didn't love me. And then someone will be like, okay, well, what's the concept? Like, the guy got left by the girl or what's the that's not a concept. It's not like stop using the word concept in the wrong context. It's just like if you wanted to say love is a reverb, okay, that there's a there's a concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There. I just feel like I mean maybe I have it wrong reverb. too. <laughs> but, <no. sighs>
1: You know what, that's actually probably, that's like the advice that you give a writer where it's that thing of like, you know, best advice you can give a young person in LA is take fountain.
0: Take fountain? Yeah, nice. <laughs> you know, so it's just an easy Forget street. about concepts. Yeah. Stop so using like, the stop word concepts.
1: Yeah, on that note, perfect. <laughs> All right, thanks, man. Thank you. That was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And The Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silberstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Gold.
0: Planning for your next trip?